Last night I texted my goddaughter and told her that I had done the first episode of a two-parter on Haley Selassie. And she texted me back and said, Oh, did you talk about the Rastafarians? And I said, yes, I did. Um, and, and then she said, do you know about their theory about the Babylonians? And I said, no, I don't. Actually, I said, nope. <laughs> um, and I said, no, I'm not going to find out either. Um, and uh, then I texted her, because I don't research. You know, I'm not interested in researching. I haven't got time. Like, even right now, I just dropped the kids off to school and rushing across the other side of the town to Box Hill for, um, for work. Um, so I'm on the go. I do these podcasts in between because, uh, you, you know, most people use their time in the car in between family and work to relax, maybe, and listen to some music or whatever. Well, I relax by chatting to myself. Uh, my goodness, I suppose if I'm at the traffic lights just talking... I know that's acceptable now. Uh, I remember when phones, you know, car phones first came in and people were sitting at traffic lights chatting. Uh, for a while there, that took a bit of getting used to. Uh, it looked like they were kind of loony. <laughs> but we all know what's going on now. Uh, all right then. Uh, so she asked, yeah, Babylonians, you know. the Bab- What's the Babylonian angle on Rastafarianism? Well, I have no idea. So I texted her and said, well, yeah, you go and do the research. Like, you know, this is our standard way of doing things. You go and do the hard work, Cassie, and um, and tell me all about it. And then, um, and then after that, I'll press record and I'll say, well, well, my goddaughter told me, boom, boom, boom. And that gets me wondering, hmm, you know, and, and then I waffle on and, and don't have an opinion, you know, that's my style. Okay, that is part, yeah, that's part one of this episode. I just realised that I just suggested, you know, that, oh, I'm so busy and I've got kids and blah, blah, blah. Oh, everyone's got something. Um, and, uh, and I said to my goddaughter, you go and do the hard work and I'll just chat, you know. Oh, of course, she's got kids as well. <laughs> oh, bad luck. <laughs> oh, there's another angle to that, though. Uh, she doesn't mind because she cares about Ethiopia. Uh, so, and I don't care about Ethiopia, I really don't, you know, no more than I care about anywhere else anyway. I'm not in love with Ethiopia. Uh, I'm curious, that's all. We'll get to Haley Selassie eventually, part two, which is what this episode is about. But just on what I just said then, I don't care about Ethiopia, you know. Well, and at the times I've said, I don't care about Australia, you know, I can go to hell in a handbasket as far as I'm concerned. 
Uh, and other times I've said, you know, I'm not a conservative, I'm not a progressive, I'm not a socialist, you know, I'm nothing. Uh, if I were you, I'd be, I'd be sort of thinking to myself, he's trying too hard with all this, you know, this business. Uh, you know, and we don't care that you don't care even, you might be thinking, that's what I'd be thinking. Uh, however, uh, it's a sort of thing I'm trying to do, you know, protest too much and all that, uh, to give myself some credibility on one level. And not only am I trying to give myself, you know, I'm not trying to give myself fake credibility, I am trying to get into a state of mind where I don't care. Now, I may be failing on that a little bit, you know, sometimes a little bit of caring might slip through, um, and, you know, if it does, I'll try and smash it down. Uh, But my whole shtick is to get myself into what I call my sporty zen state uh, in which I'm really working hard to convince myself that I actually don't care. Um, And I think this is important because I think caring is a weakness if you're doing history uh, because you're coming from a a perspective uh, you're you find yourself working backwards. I said, I talked about this in another episode. You know, let's say you care about Tigray uh, culture more than Oromo culture, for example. Um, how can you enter into a dialectic, as I call it, about, uh, about you know, the recent change in Prime Minister, which uh, was a change from a Tigray kind of friendly, a, a Tigray preferred Prime Minister to a Tigray non-preferred Prime Minister. How can you even discuss that uh, in a virtuous way, let's say, in an intellectually virtuous, virtuous way? Uh, you can't, I don't think, because you've already decided on a certain, um, a, a certain set of facts, I suppose, uh, and you're working backwards and making the evidence fit. Uh, so, I like, and this is one of the reasons I'm enjoying doing a history of Ethiopia more than I might be enjoying doing a history of Australia, for example, uh, because I can more successfully turn myself into this Martian that I'm trying to talk to my, uh, turn myself into. Uh, as an Australian, oh, it'd be harder work, you know. And I've tried. I've actually written things about Australian history. And I've tried. Yeah, I've given myself a false name, everything. And not a false name, you know, to try and trick you. Uh, this is my own writings for myself, not for anyone else, uh, maybe my kids. But I write things down for myself only uh, under a fake name and give myself a fake personality with fake um, opinions just so that I can be that Martian and I can try and look at whatever I'm looking at with an indifferent eye. Uh, 
Now, you can pretend I don't have to go that far to be, you know, to look at things indifferently. But I'm not so sure. I think, you know, you really have to work hard um, and use some tricks on yourself. You have to trick yourself and use some devices on yourself to get some distance between you and what you're talking about to try and have that indifferent eye. Now, this is enormously in the end, it's impossible uh, because, let's say, you created the perfect alias who 100% forgot who you were. Well, then how do you come back? You know, because you've forgotten who you are. Um, so I can become someone called Charlie, you know. I had one um, alias called Charlie Threadbow, which I invented as the bullets were ringing around, ringing out, in the offices of Charlie Hebdo that day, if you remember that great tragedy. But um, at that very moment in time, I made myself, I turned, you know, I created for myself a political alias uh, who was called Charlie Threadbow. And Charlie Threadbow did not care, you know, and this is my shtick, as I say. Um, now, take all that as you wish. Uh, but that's where I'm coming from. And for the purposes of this, po- this podcast, yes, I don't care. Uh, I was listening to a podcast by a fantastic speaker, Don uh, Dan Carlin. And he's an American political commentator. He also calls himself a Martian. Uh, and, you know, a political Martian. But I have... You know, very clearly he cares about the future of his country, America. Yeah. He's a liberal, you know, a progressive liberal by the look of it, a radical. He hates the Democrats at the moment and he hates the Republicans. He hated Hillary's guts and he hates Trump's guts, you know. So he's a free radical um, politically in that sense. He's non-partisan. Uh, he was hoping for independence to rise up and, you know, uh, stop this duopoly that was the Democrat, that had, is the Democrats and the Republicans in America. You know, that is a duopoly that is so strong it almost feels like it's part of the Constitution now that they're, that it's written into the Constitution in America, there shall be a uh, Republican Party and there shall be a Democrat Party and the independents shall not have a voice, you know. And this is, Dan Carlin's noticed that sort of thing creeping in because stuff doesn't have to be written into a constitution for it to become part of a constitution. Uh, Ancient Rome proved that if you do something uh, for long enough that is breaking a rule in the constitution, then the thing you're doing, uh, it might as well be written down because you can't break that. Uh, You only need 50 or 70 or 100 years to be doing something for the Constitution to essentially change and be, you know, be redundant. Um, And a good example of this is, and uh, Dan Carlin was telling me about this one, and I never knew it really, uh, but back in the Nuremberg war crimes trials... Uh, one of the Nazis who was on trial um, 
you know, was saying, you guys are just as bad as us, you know, we just happen to lose, something like that, you know. And uh, the prosecutor in the Nuremberg trial, Nuremberg trial, a kangaroo court of some sort, but, you know, some good things came out of it. Um, the prosecutor said, no, we are not like you. For example, he said, we cannot go to war unless Congress says we can go to war. Oh my goodness, said Dan Carlin. That is not the rule anymore. Here we are in 2019 and the president can unilaterally go to war. But the constitution does say the Congress has to approve that. And yet that's not the rule now. So how can something be written into the constitution, a constitution, and this applies to Australia or Ethiopia or anywhere, um, how can something be written into a constitution and absolutely not be enforceable. And Dan Carlin argues that that can happen if enough presidents in the row, in a row, assert that to be the fact. And if Congress, in the case of America, the USA, don't challenge that and let it go. And if the people decide not to challenge that, and decide to let it go. So Dan Carlin argues, um, if Donald Trump has all this power to go to war unilaterally tomorrow and not have to ask anyone, which he has, despite the constitution, Dan Carlin argues that that's Obama's fault and George W. Bush's fault and Bill Clinton's fault and all of their faults, you know, because and, and it's the fault of the people. You know, this is this business of, you know, oh, people, they're such sooks, you know what I mean, sometimes. You know? Oh, the government, you know, we are, we are seven billion souls and you, the governments of the world have let us down. No, you make the governments people of the world. Uh, so it's your fault, you know. Uh, that's the way I see it anyway. Um, you, you know, when you had Obama in, you let it go because your guy was in. That's uh, a Dan Carlin kind of quote. You know, your guy was in, so you were happy about that. Um, I'm almost saying it like he said it, you know. Uh, I don't quite have his American accent, but I can work on it. Um, yeah, so the P, uh, Dan Carlin argues, and I'm sure this is going to have a, you know, I'll work this into a parallel into Ethiopia at some stage, I'm sure, because that's what I do. Um, so Dan Carlin says, no. No, when your guy was in, you were happy to bend the rules because your guy was in. And now your guy's not in and he's using the rules that you made. And, see, I'm really talking like him now. And, uh, and now you're crying about it. Well, bad luck. You made the rules. And another example is when, you know, like Hillary... Clinton and Donald Trump uh, were going for that election and Dan Carlin hated both of their guts of course as I said and um, Bath you know before the election the Democrats were and, and the people who hated Trump were saying to Trump and it was all I remember this myself and uh, if the election doesn't go your way and all the polls are saying it won't go your way, commit now to 
agreeing to the results of the election. Don't challenge. Come on, commit now. You know, they were, Donald Trump was sort of saying, get stuffed, get stuffed. You know, I'm not going to do that. And they said, oh, see, he doesn't believe in democracy. Oh, my goodness, what happened as soon as Donald Trump got in? Not my president. They were doing it. The people were doing what, you know, that anti-democratic thing that they were trying to pressure Donald Trump to not do. Now, Dan Carlin would argue, careful what you wish for, when people, when you say not my president, because when your guy gets in next, the Trump supporters are going to be able to say that and you're not going to be able to say a thing. They can, you know, maybe Michelle Obama will get in, you know, and there'll be people marching down the streets, uh, rednecks, if you like, saying, not my president, you know. And what are you going to say to them? Stand by the results of the election, you know. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, everyone, by the way, did agree on the rules of engagement in the election, that it would be a, um, what do they call it over there, a um, college voting system, you know, and that's another thing the uh, other side did, you know, the Trump-hating side. Um, uh, they said, oh, he didn't win on primaries, you know, the, the, the straight count of the votes. Yes, but you agreed to the system before the election. If Hillary had have won under that system, you would have been you know, hitting Trump with a hammer and saying, no, we all agreed. You know, the the um, college voting system, um, you can't pull that stunt, you know. And here they are pulling that stunt. So this is the way people work. And you've got to get above that fray, I, I think, you know. And again, I'm a bit of a Martian when it comes to America because uh, I have this strange resistance to American culture. Um, I try not to even learn about American history, but, you know, I'm forcing myself to learn about American history because I don't want to be influenced by American thinking too much. Uh, it's already too pervasive in my head. I uh, can't get away from it. Uh, but, you know, I'm a Martian when it comes to Ethiopia. I'm a Martian when it comes to America. Um, now, um, so, anyway, Dan Carlin, but he has a weakness, in my opinion. He is 50 times the podcaster I'll ever be. Uh, He's just incredible, and his knowledge, and oh my goodness, he's just unbelievable, you know. I'm not here to uh, be an expert. He is an expert. I'm not an expert. I'm here to ask questions. He gives answers, you know. Um, He just knows everything. I can't believe him. Uh, Anyway, but he's got an Achilles heel, and that is he cares. Now, he... uh, Dan Carlin um, is, I I described him before, he calls himself a Martian liberal of some sort, Uh, but he's not quite a Martian because he's still here on Earth in America caring about what happens to America. So I'm more a Martian uh, when it comes to American politics at least, and when I'm under one of my aliases everywhere, I'm actually sitting on Mars not caring what happens to these stupid humans. Uh, But he cares, um, and... That has pretty much wrecked what has been a a major podcast in the history of podcasts because I think 
he's given up on it. It was a podcast called Common Sense, which I, and I listened to the last sort of couple of years, so last three years worth of episodes of it. Oh my goodness, he's got some great insights. And but he all through the years since he was started podcasting, which is two thousand and five, he said. I think he what he said. Uh, all through the years, he was hoping that some independent vo- independence would rise up, and um, and challenge. The establishment, you know, the the Democrat Republican stronghold that is that has become almost constitutional in American politics, and he said, "No, people, you know, trying to knock on their heads. This doesn't have to be like this. You know, there used to be a Whig party," he said, and that got killed off. And uh, I think he, I don't know much about the Whigs, but Dan Cullen said he's a bit of a Whig, but the Whigs are gone. Um, and he said, so before the Republican, you know, it wasn't always just the Republicans and the Democrats. You know, that's a bit like in Australia. It wasn't always just Liberal and Labor. Um, now, so he said, don't be idiots, is basically what he was saying. And um, he said, uh, and all through his podcast for years and years and years, he was saying, I care about America and I, we need independent voices coming through that are not um, part of the uh, establishment and bang two people come along for the most recent election suddenly out of nowhere uh, both parties are completely challenged by two independent voices uh, now the Republican Democrat stronghold is so strong that those two independent voices voices rose up from within those parties. But he said, put that thought aside because they were independent voices and they were telling their own party that they disagreed with their own party. And they were, um, you know, like on their, they were lone, they were, um, what do you call it, wild cards. Um, and the parties couldn't control them. And their names were Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Now, apparently, in the, you know, as the, in, in the early stages of their system, uh, when they're sorting out who's going to be even the contenders for the presidency, um, apparently Bernie Sanders was in front, you know, the people wanted Bernie Sanders more than they wanted Hillary Clinton. Um, uh, Bernie Sanders is something of a liberal as well, a bit of a socialist liberal. Um, now, apparently, and you guys might know about all this more than me, uh, Bernie Sanders really, in a democratic sense, had the votes over um, over Hillary Clinton. And, you know, because they have these elections, I forget what they're called, elections in the lead up, you know, and then, you know, let's say Bernie Sanders won and Hillary Clinton should have been kicked out very early in the process. And then it would have ended up Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump. Um, but what happened was the Democrats have this, or both parties have this system where if the people don't vote the way they want them to vote, they just disregard the vote and put their person in anyway. Now, you know, both parties apparently were 
um, ready to pull that trigger. Um, the Democrats pulled it, so they were the most, you know, on one level, undemocratic of the two parties, and kicked Bernie Sanders out and said, no, we're going with Hillary anyway, even if the people want Bernie Sanders, bad luck, you know, because Hillary, they were freaking out perhaps, you know, because Bernie Sanders was a challenge to the establishment order, and you know, they want to keep going on the yachts with uh, Richard Branson and all that sort of stuff, and, you know, um, being re- and being photographed with Hollywood people, you know. There's an establishment which includes Hollywood people, you know, like Meryl Streep and all those people. Uh, Meryl Streep's one of those ones who's got a long list of causes that she feels so passionately about, but one of those... But amongst those causes, you don't see the cause that is the growing gap between the rich and poor in America. You know, she's not going to go for that one because she wants to uh, be a saint and rich. You know, she wants to be... uh, She wants to be super rich, super elite, super beautiful, dazzling, um, and at the same time, for the people to love her for it. Now, if you can pull that one off, you're really going somewhere in history. That's brilliant, you know. Um, uh, So... Um, so that, that's what you get, you know, um, and, but, and Donald Trump, I'm sure the Republicans would have put it, like to put a bullet in his head too, like they put a bullet in Bernie Sanders' head, but I think Donald Trump outwitted them and many, and still everyone's scratching their heads as to how he did it. So they weren't able to kick him out and put in one of their boys, their establishment boys in, because I think both parties would have preferred two establishment uh, candidates going head to head, you know. Uh, But they ended up with a super establishment person, Hillary Clinton. Uh, She just wants the status quo in the world, you know. And I don't need to tell you uh, that a lot of people think that the current world order is such that, you know, this rich elite um, wants to have all of everything and they're all a club, you know, every, everyone from uh, business through to Hollywood, through to everything, um, through to politics and it's corrupt as anything and they want to be dazzling and with the big white teeth and smiling um, and to have all the peasants uh, love them for it, which is, and I think that's the Democrat model, uh, as far as I can tell. All right. Um, now, the, uh, so that's how it went. You know, they ended up with Hillary, uh, who was a um, establishment Democrat figure, um, who represented all of that. You know, and for that reason, Dan Carlin hates her guts, as I said. And then you ended up with Donald Trump, a non-establishment person. Rich, to be sure, but not part of that establishment. In fact, kicking that establishment every chance he got. Um, Now, I'm getting to where Dan Carlin had a weakness. He's Achilles' heel. Uh, Suddenly, you had the spectre of a an anti-establishment mood in America and you had an anti-establishment uh, Donald Trump running and an establishment Hillary Clinton running and Donald Trump won. Okay, maybe that's how it all panned out in the end, in hindsight, you know. Um, because I predicted 
Hillary would win. Uh, Dan Carlin predicted Hillary would win. My goddaughter predicted Donald Trump would win. So, you know, what's she got over Dan Carlin, who breaks records in the world from, you know, he does a single episode on politics and gets a million downloads, even to this day. Like, I think he, he does, he, you know, all-time most hits, making an absolute fortune. Um, acknowledged the world over as a political genius and, uh, and he predicts that Clinton win and my goddaughter predicts a, here, back here in Australia with me, uh, predicts a Trump win. So really he should hand all over those millions over to, to my goddaughter, I think. All right, so that's how it all works. But what happened with Dan Carlin is, um, because he, he cared, uh, and all these years he's been wanting independent voices in Parliament, uh, sorry, in, um, in you know, American politics, rising up to smash the Democrats and the corrupt Democrats and the corrupt Republicans. And finally, two come along, finally two come along, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, and he hates them. Oh, no. And I think that threw him into something of a depression. He was pretty clear on that. I think he got depressed about it uh, because he cared. Uh, so, um, so, uh, and I think that podcast he was making, he just let it drift off. He said, I, I, I get the feeling he's sort of saying, I can't do this anymore. You know, because my, you know, my wishes and my hopes and my dreams are all shattered. Finally, you know, I, I wasn't careful what I wished for. Finally, I got what I want. And it didn't look anything like I thought I was going to get. I was thinking of much more um, nice... Uh, or, you know, I wasn't thinking Bernie Sanders and I wasn't thinking Donald Trump. I wasn't thinking these sorts of characters, not in my wildest dreams. And this is what I've got. And at the end of all those podcasts, this political genius, which he is, uh, sort of said, I could keep doing podcasts now, but what can I tell you? I've got nowhere else to go. You know, I'm all burnt out. I'm finished. And he said, I'm finished with politics, I think. And... He's now gone back to history. Yeah, he's just talking about history and he's all excited again, talking about history again. But it's interesting that he gave up on politics. And I think I'm immune to that because I think I'm a more genuine Martian. I am, number one, completely inferior to someone like Dan Carlin in my political uh, insight. Completely inferior. That's one protection I've got. And the other protection I've got is I'm willing not to care, you know, I'm willing. He doesn't want to see America divided, you know. He often talks about, and, and this, this is going to relate to Ethiopia, believe it or not, but he said, look, I'm looking around and my fellow Americans, they don't even want to live in the same, they don't even like each other. They don't even want to live in the same country together. Um, and he said, you know, we can have threats from, we can have external threats till the cows come home. Uh, and nobody can beat us because we've got the best uh, military in the world. We can destroy the rest of the world in a heartbeat. 
um, if we wanted to. Our military, and that's including China, our military could just smash everyone else in a heartbeat. So we haven't, we're not scared of the rest of the world, but we've got something bad growing inside America. And that thing that is bad, he reckons, is that people don't like each other. You know, someone, someone might do a podcast. Imagine if an American did a podcast like the one I did just before this one, um, where I was talking about race and all that sort of thing, you know, and colon- colonisation and slavery and all those sorts of things. Um, if I was doing that in America, apparently, or even in Australia, but doing it in public, let's say I went on to, we've got a program called Q&A, which is, you know, on our ABC. Uh, and people come on and, you know, someone starts to talk and they could be on the left or the right. You know, I'm not saying I'm left or right, but someone could be on the left side of politics and they just open their mouth and they say, look, what I think is that on the question of indigenous, and then they get cut off. Oh, that's starting to, you know, I'm getting goosebumps here. Sorry? You know, this is one panellist to another. I'm getting goosebumps here because I can detect racism in your voice. I don't think I can stay here. And then that other person walks out. I might have got my politics around the wrong way there. So that scenario would be what? A a, a right-winger saying something and the left-winger walking out. And then on the other side of the coin, the right-wingers can be just as, just as bad, you know. And the, you know, a left-winger might say something. Um, what would a left-winger say? They might say, you know, I think that all refugees... Well, might say the Conservatives, stop, stop right there. I'm getting goosebumps. I'm starting to get hot flushes, you know. Uh, but because um, I don't think I can stay in a room with you anymore because you just, you don't care about this country. I'm, I'm walking out, you know. And that's the way public debate goes now. Um, and Dan Carlin argues that this is, you know, like a cancer inside a country where people can't even talk anymore. We all have to go back, you know, we're all heading off to Mars to have a chat because we can't talk in the open. We can't engage in public discourse, you know, and I couldn't be saying everything I'm saying right now in public. I'd be smashed, you know, and yet, as far as I can tell, I'm not having an opinion. I really am not. As far as I can tell, I could be wrong, but I'll never know. If I am wrong, I'll never know because I'm not inviting comments. You know, I haven't given you any avenue you as a listener. I haven't given you any avenue to um, talk to me. I'm not on Twitter. You know, I'm not on Facebook or any of those other things. I'm not on Insta. Um, I don't do any of those things. There's no way for you to contact me. I can't be found, you know. So I've gone to Mars. Whereas Dan Carlin, I'm pretty sure, is he's got a Twitter account and I think people are talking to him. And, and also he's watching, he's told us, he watches the comments on Twitter and so on. Uh, when something happens, you know, and I don't, you know, I don't, I just, I just don't look at it. Um, so he sees all the shouting, you know, and the name calling, you know, someone says something and someone yells with huge amount of swearing, you're an effing Nazi or, you know, or you're a, um, you know, you're a commie, um, socialist, you know, bastard, 
bloody mousy tongue sort of style and uh, whatever um so immediately you know someone might try to if you're trying to engage in a dialectic in the public domain um ha this might say someone you know coming from a now a privileged white uh what is it a privileged white old male you know and that sort of thing when no i'm not i'm on mars you know (laughs) maybe i'm not uh, but i am all right so where i've got an edge on dan carlin is i can't be got at i can't be you know nothing can depress me you know um i can i could just chat like i am and completely forget to talk about Haley Selassie in an episode that was supposed to be about Haley Selassie. Uh, but uh, I think it's worth, you know, that was an accidental long digression into American politics when I was trying to make, when I was making some other point about that. You know, the point about um, uh, giving you, you know, making, so, making sure you are in a pure state of virtuousness uh, before you start talking about history and you know getting uh, getting yourself in a state of mind where you're not you know you refuse to be progressive or conservative or anything else and you really do work hard you'll never get there quite but you're really working hard giving yourself false names everything to detach yourself and go and hop on Mars um, or on your porch if you live somewhere like Quambatook or Witchy Proof or, you know, out the back of uh, in the Never Never, but same thing. Um, but, you know, you get out of Mars, uh, get, get, get over there to Mars and look back at the Earth and see what you make of it. That's what I'm trying to do. And I, I think I'm pulling it off for my, for my own purposes. And if you don't think I am, then that's irrelevant. Um, but... It's an, it's an interesting thing to think about, you know. Like if I was to continue doing podcasts like this in the way that Dan Carlin has been doing podcasts for so many years, I don't think I can be burnt out. Um, and that's really the only difference between Dan Carlin and myself, except for the fact that he has around about 187 times my genius. All right, uh, end of that. Now... Probably for the purposes of Ethiopia, the only thing we can take away from all of that is to note with interest that America is bitterly divided. How can this have any effect on Ethiopia? I'm sure we can sort of, we're probably going to find out how. Um, Now, America is bitterly divided between their conservative and their progressive uh, peoples um, who hate each other, you know, and don't let each other speak. Uh, America appears to not be able to enter into a dialectic. Uh, They can only debate and not in a good way. They can only debate with heat. They can't dialectic. Can you use the word dialectic in the same way you can use the word debate uh, in grammar terms? Uh, I'll say, I'll pretend that I can. I, I, can't, I don't actually know. But 
um, Americans can't engage in a dialectic. Now, how does that affect Ethiopia? Well, I think American culture is, uh, is affecting Ethiopia very much, from what I can tell from the outside. And the reason I say that is I think American culture is affecting the whole world in this sense, you know, the, the bitter political divisions. Now, there's also the bitter social divisions in America. And in America, the black-white divide is a real hot button. Um, and that one is, I'm sure, going to impact on the way Ethiopia, Ethiopians think because it's impacting on the way we are all thinking in the world. And then you have, um, and you know, Australia is no different. Now, I don't know whether all that started. I think a key part of it started in America because through sheer greed, the Americans, like every other culture on the planet in history, in the history of civilizations, through sheer greed, they wanted to have as many slaves as they could so they could make as much money as they could. Well, this is what you get, America, when you do that sort of thing. Now, the ancient Spartans knew that too. They were frightened. They were scared stiff of their own slaves. Sparta was not scared of external forces. They had so much swagger you wouldn't believe. But my goodness, Spartans were very frightened of um, what was happening internal to Spartan culture where they had seven times as many slaves as they had slave masters. So the slave masters, which we nowadays know as the Spartans, um, the slave masters were, um, had to become more and more and more like supermen and superwomen, interestingly, because the women were also promoted, you know, unlike most cultures, the women had to be strong and intelligent and be educated and all those sorts of things because if they dropped their guard for one minute, the, the, oh, the slaves would rise up and knock them off. So this is one of the reasons that Spartans became so famously eugenically powerful. Uh, incredible culture, but perhaps for <laughs> nefarious reasons, if you like. Um, yeah, they, they acquired their slaves at some point in their history. I think they um, went somewhere in, you know, locally in Greece uh, or in, in the Hellenic world anyway, and grabbed a whole, you know, and um, completely defeated a, a region a town and a surrounding region and took everyone back as slaves and that sealed their fate, the Spartans, because then from then on they became dependent on those slaves and they were trapped. The Spartans were trapped. The slaves were trapped and the Spartans were trapped. You know? And you might find some analogies there uh, in the way other slave, you know, slaving economies operate. I know if you ask someone in the street, well, let's talk about slavery. The only slaving economy they know, really, is America's. Um, you know, the history of slavery starts with the ships that went from Africa across to America for the sugar plantations and all that sort of thing. But no, America just happened to be the last, uh, the last big guy anyway doing that. Um, and uh, now... So, uh, look, I'll leave it off there, but um, I think it does impact on Ethiopia. Uh, 
my goddaughter, and I, look, I'm, my goddaughter says that she's in on the discussions, you know, she's on social media platforms and she sees what people are writing and she detects that Ethiopians uh, tend these days to be thinking that the, the experience of the African-American is one and the same thing as their own experience. Now, two things I'll say about that. Number one, it might be. So there you go. Uh, it might be genuinely a problem. Um, maybe the, uh, the uh, legacy of colonisation does smash Ethiopia. I don't know, you know, I'm not an economist. Um, all right, so maybe there's some justification and, um, you know, Ethiopians look over to the African-Americans, which, um, as far as I know, the slaves didn't include Ethiopians in the old days. Uh, maybe some, I don't know. Um, and then the other thing I'll say about that is um, nothing, because I forgot what I was going to say. I'll finish this episode now, but I think I've laid some groundwork um, for where I'm coming from with all of this, and uh, I'll have to get on to Haley Selassie next episode. Oops. <laughs> all right, bye.